welcome to Estradile Illusions. We are back on the island of Sodor, but we are also at the Isle of Man, which served as the uh, location for Shining Time Station. And the reason we are uh, exploring Shining Time Station is because we are celebrating the 20th anniversary of a film that uh, all of our fans of Thomas Tank Engine and Chill certainly have opinions about. Sometimes they're not the most... Uh, positive but uh for for thomas the tank engine and uh lore thomas and the magic railroad is a film that in my family uh is is beloved and uh i'm so excited to be able to talk about the film i was uh fortunate enough to have uh some pre-existing contacts at uh the shout factory who were putting out the blu-ray uh sent me Two copies of the uh, of the the film, but we had a chance to go through the Blu-ray re-release 20th anniversary and uh, go through the bonus features, which are extensive. And that's actually kind of where fans of Thomas the Tank Engine will really appreciate uh, this this release because if you are the kind of person who listens to a Thomas the Tank Engine podcast, you're probably aware of this film's uh, troubled history, the shooting, the studio interference, all of the deleted scenes, all of that kind of stuff. So we're going to we're going to dive into that. This will not be a traditional go through scene by scene episode. We're going to take a uh, pretty broad uh, approach to, to looking at, at at all of this. But but before we get into all of that, uh, do we have a terrible update? Hello. Um, updates. It is now 2021. I have been writing the date correctly for the most part. Um, life is swell. Did you like Thomas and Magic Robert? Um, <laughs> see, growing up, I hated it because it scared me. I don't really know why. It left a bad taste in my mouth. I didn't like the actors because of it. Um, so that's how that goes. Um, so watching it again, my original views were affirmed. Um, I still didn't really like it until we watched the bonus features. Um, the bonus features and the deleted scenes, or as this, um, Blu-ray package calls it, the deleted storylines actually make it make a lot more sense. Um, I think there's a lot more to appreciate in the scenes that unfortunately got cut. Um, so that's very unfortunate, but I, I right now sitting right here, I, I did enjoy the experience overall. So one thing within, within, and this is something that I've, I've learned in, from, from my years in the Thomas the Tank Engine fandom, there are a lot of British people who blame the failure of this movie or blame their dislike on it for its inclusion of... Uh, characters from the TV series Shining Time Station, which was an American show that aired for a couple years in the early 90s. And if you're a British person listening, I kind of want to start off with this because I I really want to push back on that idea. Shining Time Station had finished its run in 1995. This movie came out in 2000. And all of the the Thomas Tankington from the TV show to Shining Time to the movie... It was all spearheaded by Britt Allcroft. So this is kind of her combining all the different continuity, the the model trains, the the TV show that she was able to put on in America and, and bring all of that 
uh, to life in this film. And Didi Khan, who is in Greece, is a wonderful film actress who played Stacey Jones on the show. She uh, is kind of the link between Shining Time Station and this film, and uh, to a lesser extent, the character Billy Two Feathers, who was largely basically cut out of the movie, but he was played by Tom Jackson in the TV show. In the film, he's played by Russell Means, who has been in a a lot of different films. Uh, I imagine that a lot of people would probably know him most from Last of the Mohicans. So, I mean, it, it... for me, for me, this cast has always kind of made uh, the the return journeys to Thomas and Magic Railroad rewarding because you have Peter Fonda, who is probably most well known for uh, Easy Rider, and then also just kind of for being a member of the Fonda family, uh, longtime film actor. You have him uh, <laughs> playing Burnett Stone. You have Alec Baldwin, who was not part of Shining Time Station, which uh, had uh, Ringo Starr and then George Carlin as Mr. Conductor. Alec Baldwin had voiced Thomas for the TV show, but but he didn't take part in Shining Time. So this is his one live-action appearance as Mr. Conductor. Then you have Mara Wilson, who's known uh, to a lot, mostly for the role of Matilda. Uh, older fans will also know her for her extensive social media following and also for being the uh, cousin of... Uh, a certain right-wing troll, Ben, ben Shapiro. Uh, she doesn't like him either. It's okay. Uh, and uh, th- so this film had like a really, really, really impressive cast. Uh, and I mean, it, it is kind of a mess to push back on the idea that shining the 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 TV show Shining Time Station uh, that it created a disconnect for British fans. You did not have to, you you did not have to see Shining Time to watch this movie. And I imagine that, that British people weren't really the only people left out with not understanding that it was based on a TV show, because if we, if we take the fact that, uh, Thomas really does kind of appeal to, to young, to young children, most of them probably wouldn't have seen Shining Time Station either, which had uh, only aired periodically on PBS from station to station in America at that point in the year 2000. So a lot of kids probably wouldn't have seen it either. So really the big, the big problem for this movie is the fact that it exists. Like It's based on two different planes, the, the Thomas stories and then Shining Time. This movie takes place on, on two different levels. You've got the stuff on the island of Sodor, the plot line where uh, Stratum Hat's on vacation. You've got Diesel number 10, who's... I mean, he's, he's, he's really just kind of a terrorist. Just kind of going and screwing around and uh, looking for this lost engine. But then you also have the story of Mara Wilson's character Lily going to Shining Time and Muffle Mountain, which... I mean, it, you wouldn't know unless you watched the deleted scene. Muffle Mountain is called Muffle Mountain because it muffles the sound of the trains. I don't know if you totally needed to know that to uh, get the movie, but these are the kind of things that are cut out. And what's cool about this Blu-ray is you have... Uh, there's a character called uh, P.T. Boomer, who is played by Doug Lennox, who is a villain, kind of a parallel of Diesel number 10, he got cut out from the movie completely, and he's in a lot of these scenes. So, I think kind of the reason this movie was kind of a bomb is uh, at least, I mean, what would you say, Tara? The, the, original, the, the Blu-ray presents the original story, which takes you through basically all the live-action scenes with the deleted scenes cut in, not a ton on the island of Sodor. 
But that presentation with the deleted scenes and then some of the stuff with uh, the did air in the movie, that went on for like an hour. I mean, what did, what did, what did you kind of think of uh, that live action when, when all of that was thrown in? It made a lot more sense in the story. Um, I, I think there's definitely a need to cut some of it. Some of it was excessive and redundant at a time. But, and so children might not really follow along so much with all of the live action scenes, but it really helps explain the story. Um, You understand more about why the Magic Railroad is the way it is, why it ended, why this train is missing, um, why it was really necessary for Lily's um, for Lily's character to go to Shining Time in the first place, why she has her relationship the way it is with her grandfather, why she's now friends with everyone from Shining Time. Um, there's a lot of really important character relationship growth and just background information that they just ended up cutting entirely. And even more than just the boomer scenes, they cut out a lot of other scenes that really should have stayed in. Yeah, I mean, this is a very, very, very complex narrative that then had a lot of its pieces cut out. And it did probably... I mean, it plays a lot better with the deleted scenes uh, put in. I think a lot of the problem... So Britt Alcroft was kind of... Thomas Thomas in the year 2000 was on top of the world, and it's never really not been on top of the world with young... I mean, young kids love, love Thomas the Tank Engine. It is still wildly wildly popular i think it has basically a full aisle in most targets still yeah it's 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 a marketing cash cow and it's it's been a phenomenon for 40 i mean there's a reason there's a reason we do thomas the tank engine and chill it's partially because i'd love to do it but also we we look at the numbers there's an audience for this there are people who also like to you listener we know that you like to listen there's this this fandom has has survived for so long and brit allcroft had gotten had all that goodwill for for bringing this show to life for producing the uh model the all the model trains that's it really complex stuff the the uh, filming and and how it, it's so simplistic in its delivery you really have you have model trains and then you have a narrator there's not a lot to this story and these episodes are little five minute vignettes basically that uh it's simple and yet it's also really impressive and complex at the same time so all of that worked and then so you take you take the person who brought all of that to life and then you say okay you can direct a movie based on this and a feature film is a totally different animal so if we're to if we're to kind of take I, I think Brit Alcroft's thesis is kind of this movie was poorly received because it wasn't the movie that I wanted. As a film critic, as somebody who watches a lot of movies, as somebody who watches a lot of children's movies, I I, I think that if 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 we are to accept Brit Alcroft's thesis at face value, we would then kind of also have to accept the notion that Brit Alcroft would have been able to produce one of the very 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 few successful two-hour-long children's movies so i mean i I, I mean they didn't have to keep it necessarily the full hour that they cut but it needed a good portion of what was cut for it to really be more of a cohesive narrative yeah i mean it would have been long but i think it could have still been good and enjoyable for kids yeah and well 
I mean, this this story the story is all all over the place, and a lot of the movie is the story's all over the place before you even really factor Thomas into the equation. And this is Thomas and the Magic Railroad. You yeah, have Thomas, Thomas does hardly anything. Poor guy. Yeah, and you have you have the the story's kind of like very pared back. I I'm almost kind of wondering what 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 how this fits into the timeline because they have seven. There's really only seven of the quote-unquote steam team in it. You have uh, Thomas, Percy, Toby, Gordon, James, Henry. I think, I, I actually, I'm not even sure if, I don't think Edward's even in the movie. I think he's, uh, if he is, it's just a cameo and he's basically irrelevant. Uh, yeah, I really don't think Edward's in it. Bertie, Bertie makes a couple cameos, vroom, vroom. <laughs> you also you also have the situation, oh, and then you have Diesel. And Annie then, and Claire Baller mentioned once. Yeah, they get, there, they get one line. Uh, characters like Toby and James get uh, brief, brief scenes that, that actually do kind of uh, pass for action. And then you also, yeah. have, you also have the character that Michael E. Rogers played, Mr. Conductor Jr., who is Mr. Conductor's cousin is uh, somewhat familiar with the island of Sodor. He's not as familiar with Shining Time, but he is, and he isn't, and it's kind of a mess. Then you also have uh, the character of Patch, who is Lily's friend, and this guy rides around on a horse, this little young kid, rather guy, uh, that, that Burnett Stone knows, and Stacy knows, and Billy Twofeather knows, and he's, he's kind of the... I don't know, he's kind of some... He, he functions as some sort of connective tissue of the movie. Yeah. He, he gets... Uh, he plays kind of a bigger role in the P.T. Boomer uh, plot line. Basically, P.T. Boomer is a guy who wants to build skyscrapers in the uh, I, on Shining Time. He wants to blow this. The he wants to blow muff, Muffler Mount, Muffle Mountain up and uh, build skyscrapers. Which uh, I mean, if you. you that that's I mean, there's a lot of films that kind of have the evil, greedy. I mean, he's he, he, as a character, he's kind of based in the tradition of British pantomime, so that's kind of like a stock uh, character for uh, hmm. British children's shows. But uh, I mean, look at Isle of Man now; they don't have a ton of skyscrapers. Plans kind of pretty ridiculous. Uh, well, also, it doesn't make sense from a business perspective where there's a bunch of open land, flat land all around the mountain. So it's a really just revenge-driven move to want to blow up the mountain to build a skyscraper when he could buy any other tract of land around it. And the film also kind of goes out of its way to explain... So in, in the Shining Time TV show, I've said you don't have to like understand Shining Time at all to get this movie. Uh, it, it does actually... Probably the one area where it would help is is in the idea that in, within the TV show, Mr. Conductor, who is, is miniature... Uh, he, he appears in the show, uh, when he appears, there's a, a, a spatter of gold dust and, uh, he appears. So, uh, the, the film, the film kind of takes it upon itself to feel the need to kind of explain why this gold dust exists. And, uh, it establishes that, that how a Mr. Conductor gets from Shining Time to the island of Sodor is through this gold dust, but... The reason they have to do that, there were two options. You could take the lost engine on this conductor's railway, which is kind of like something almost out of Alice in Wonderland, and you're going through, and uh, maybe it has one track. Maybe it has. It, it, it's kind of shown, unclear. Kind of shown at points to have two tracks because they pass by a coal car, car, or if you're British, a coal truck. And uh, also, Thomas disappears and shows up behind uh, Lady and. Oh, actually, I mean, 
we've we've kind of gotten a bit bit far into the podcast now, but uh, the Blu-ray cut actually kind of takes out some scenes that were in the movie, very small, particularly when Thomas falls off the mountain, which actually, if you're if you, if you're familiar with the movie, when Thomas uh, when Thomas and Lily come to Shining Time from the island of Sodor, Thomas falls down a mountain. That actually was the result of P.T. Boomer trying to blow up the mountain. That was cut. But then what was still in the theatrical cut, when Thomas is riding this hidden railway track, he just dips down into the meadow. That was cut out. And just in terms of, of the Blu-ray, the quality of the Blu-ray, what we've... It, some of these, a lot of the shots that were very clear, much of this movie was filmed on a green screen, but uh, some of the green screen shots come across really, really, really poorly. Like, they look terrible. And there's even some shots, like when Thomas is talking to Gordon, uh, the background is very fuzzy. You can't see the coaches, all that fuzzy. So I don't give the, I don't really recommend the Blu-ray cut of this movie all that much. I think if you have a VHS copy of it, and you're 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 deciding whether or not you want to make a purchase of this Blu-ray. If you wanna the the bonus features, there's over an hour worth of stuff that really does explain this movie. So if you want to learn more about Thomas and the Magic Railroad, uh, you should. Uh, yeah, it's definitely worth purchasing. If you just want to watch the movie again, it's on streaming. I I think the streaming cut is actually honestly probably better than this cut. There are some uh, comparable examples to this. Old footage, especially old sort of 90s, end of the 90s, early 2000s CGI, has often kind of struggled with making the leap to Blu-ray, which kind of exposes some of the the limitations of the CGI. I know... um, the when the Lord of the Rings movies were released on Blu-ray, uh, they they there were a lot of people who thought that it really was a was it made made a step down. And actually, recently, Peter Jackson oversaw a remaster for 4K, which sought to actually fix those kind of problems. So Thomas and the Magic Railroad very much does does not translate to Blu-ray very well. It, it, it's 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 frankly kind of an ugly cut. <laughs> when we pass through because tara's sitting there tara hadn't seen this in a while i've seen the movie at least 10 times my sister loved it growing up uh she's like how did thomas get back and i'm like thinking to myself i'm like wait a second and i pulled up the uh there's a cut of this on on amazon prime right now and i'm like i paused the movie i'm like give me a second and because i i knew where we were in the movie i found it in like two seconds i'm like look at this and there's it thomas makes a lot more sense now yeah so <laughs> beyond that there's also the plot hole of lily just kind of forgetting thomas is out there on his own according to lily's frame of reference here thomas stayed on the mountain and they never once go back to get him yeah they uh oh and the the coal car that uh needs to thomas loses a coal car on these magic buffers and i mean now would be a good time to talk about when this movie took place because as we mentioned, it uses a sort of a core group of the Steam Team. Uh, there's no like Donald Douglas. There's no Duck. There's none of those people. So, but but beyond that, these characters are are constantly, for all of a sudden, recently talking about uh, about this lost engine, and it's treated as basically like it's fact. And if you have these magic buffers that that are close enough to these people, inter- these engines interacting, that they can lose a coal car within the buffers, 
one would have to think that somebody had rested against those buffers at some point in time, and yet it's just kind of treated. So I would almost make the case that, that this film takes place right at the, kind of the beginning of, of all the Thomas lore. It, it would almost have to, because if it, if it didn't, you'd, you'd sort of think, like, wouldn't... Because it, it, it's mentioned, without really being ever explained throughout the movie, that, that both Shining Time and uh, the Island of Sodor could cease to exist if this magic route, if the lost engine of Lady isn't found. Which it's very clunky. I mean, I even even when you watch like the original story as it was presented, they kind of try to explain it a little more. But it, it's the whole doom and gloom of like the apocalyptic uh, ramifications of this is, is kind of a mess. Yeah, and I think it is partially explained by the presence of Boomer, with him wanting to destroy the mountain. I think that's when it starts to make more sense. And he's also seen basically knocking down flower pots around the Shining Time station. So it makes a lot more sense why Mr. Conductor is having these like premonition nightmares about the collapse of, as he says, his universe um, when you include Boomer in it. So that they, they should not have cut Boomer. Yeah, and then Stacy and, and Billy are kind of... There's some some issues in a deleted scene where the trains aren't really all oh, they're all messed up. They need Mr. They're not Conductor. running on time. <laughs> well, it's kind of a uh, at one point another deleted scene. Uh, Lily is trying to explain to Burnett, her grandfather, that that she saw this little man, and he's like, "Well, I only believe things I can see with my own eyes." But she literally saw him. Yeah, these are people who know he exists. Yeah. It, so that that doesn't make it. It's not clear why the grandfather just says he stopped believing in magic, and it becomes a little more clear in the deleted scenes. And, well, I, I mean, we're kind of just doing a, a, a free-for-all of all the various points of the <laughs> movie, but uh, when Thomas and Lily go from the island of Sodor to Shining Time, you've got to wonder, so Mr. Conductor is a miniature man, and so is Junior Conductor, when they go from island of Sodor to uh, Shining Time— when Thomas goes, Thomas is a f- big train, and Lily is, uh, you, you know, normal human size. What would have happened if Mr. Conductor and them had uh, gone? It, actually, I mean, Junior Conductor takes Lily there, and they know. Um, Basically, she, like Alice, she's shrinking. Yeah, she says, you've gotten bigger, and, and he says, well, maybe you've gotten smaller. They go from Shining Time to Island of Sodor. It's very unclear what would have happened if you'd had a conductor who went with them back to Shining huh. Time. Would he have shrunk and she grow? Yeah, while Thomas remains the same. Yeah, while it he doesn't make grows, sense. Yeah, that's magic. Well, there's a scene also where it's, it's, and, and aside from the conductors and Sir Top Matt is hinted, but he doesn't appear. And in the interviews, they kind of want it like shown. They didn't want to really mess with the idea that. Uh, I He's mean, not a wooden man. Yeah, like that. This is not some like plastic figure who doesn't mouth doesn't move. Uh, there's even a there's a picture on Stop Hat's desk that Mister Conductor goes to, and the lady hat is just the lady hat from the show. He's like poking around his office, trying on his top hat, and looking at his wife. Yeah, and Junior Conductor has the best line of them all. They they also this introduces they do have telephones in this, but you can also communicate by Lily phone or like a Bellflower maybe. Bellflower, it was. Bellflower, yeah. 
uh, you communicate with a ringing flower, and, and Junior Conductor picks up the phone, asks who it is, finds out that it's Mr. Conductor, and then says, Oh, hello, Hattie. Hello, Hattie. I, my sister and I often say that to each other. Uh, this is a cult movie. This is a cult, and everybody, lis- if you are listening, especially <laughs> if you're listening this far into the... I, I don't know. I mean, I say that. I know there there are people who don't listen to Thomas the Tank Engine and Chill normally who have listened to an Astray episode or two, and they'll say, like, this is really fascinating to, like, listen to you guys just go through these in-depth episodes. So, I mean, there are... This is... If if you don't watch Thomas and you're just listening to this because you like Estrada Illusions, uh, this is a very much a cult movie. You should watch it. It's Go watch it now. It's on Prime. Uh, and then come... You'll the, This episode will make more... I, I say this episode will make more sense. I mean... We have spent, between the bonus features and watching the movie, in order to do this podcast, probably three hours engaging with Thomas content just to get this thing. And, and I don't know, there's a lot that doesn't make sense. The P.T. Boomer stuff is, is, as Tara mentioned, very fun, though. And he would have probably been a good character. And having him in it would also kind of justify the sense of Patch's role in the film, who is very much a kind of... Well, so there's Patch's role, and then... There's a dog called Mutt who apparently understands English very well. Um, the omniscient Mr. Conductor's narration implies that he understands what Mutt is feeling. Mutt guides Lily to the wrong train. Oh, and there's two separate trains. Muffle Mountain and Shining Time are close together, but from the station that Lily is, is riding from, they're, they're on totally separate lines. <laughs> For for something for for areas that are like this remote, you'd think there'd probably just be the one line. There wouldn't be yeah. uh, two separate lines. But uh, here we are in Mutt. Mutt guides Lily to the wrong path, and she's guided to the wrong path so that she can be a part of this like big sort of doomsday thing, and she's right in the nick of time, and some suspension of disbelief can, can allow us to say, like, okay, that's okay that uh, this... None of this makes sense. We will accept that it <laughs> that doesn't make sense. But so they cut PT Boomer and made a movie that I mean this movie was incredibly poorly received. So I'm not going to say uh, they cut him and it, it worked, but they cut him and it was still a functional movie, albeit with I mean movies have plot holes. Plenty of movies have plot holes, so there were an extra amount of plot holes here. Yeah, and uh it's uh, it's all like, like part of the fun. I mean, also just like as a film aficionado, the this is Mara Wilson's most recent on-screen role. She's retired, and uh, I'm quite. Is fond- this the reason why? <laughs> well, so actually, I mean, that was so with the bonus features. There are um, there's an interview with uh, Didi Khan, which was uh, feature, which was uh, remote. Uh, they do get Alec Baldwin in person, and he has very fond uh, feelings about this uh, film, which is uh, really heartwarming to hear. They did uh, new interviews with Britt Allcroft. They did get Mara Wilson back for another interview. So is this the reason why she quit? Probably not. I think she probably, uh, her, her reasons for wanting to, uh, she's done some TV since, but um, I, I think that, the, the I, I don't, It it is nice to see. I don't, there aren't a ton of movies that are poorly received that don't do that well 
where you make a 20th anniversary uh, re-release and you then get the principal cast who were famous then and are, with I guess, kind of the... A, I mean, they're all st- still pretty well-known. Diddy Kong was actually just in a movie that I uh, reviewed, although basically nobody else reviewed, um, called The Mimic, uh, briefly. But um, she... Uh, they... Um, it, it is very nice to see that, that they did enjoy this. And, you know, you don't you don't get a lot of busts where you'll get a lot of the people coming back. Uh, worth noting, in case you didn't know, uh, Russell Means and Peter Fonda are both uh, deceased uh, at this point. Uh, Peter Fonda died in 2019, and Russell Means died when I was a senior in college because I wrote an article when he died because I was really sad. I really liked him as an actor. Uh, he would have died in, I want to say, 2013. Slight chance he died in... 2012 and i'm almost positive it was 2013 uh so i mean that that's that's obviously pretty nice i guess they didn't want to bring back uh junior conductor for any interviews but you know it from a fan perspective it's nice when the people are are on board with this and also i mean also with with um listening to the the interviews on the bonus feature it's very interesting that they uh you know, both Britt Allcroft and Alec Baldwin do kind of acknowledge that, yeah, this movie did not turn out the way that anybody really wanted it to turn out. And studio interference, um, there were focus groups where it was determined that uh, P.T. Boomer did not test well. And that does kind of make sense if you've got a traditional British uh, pantomime. British kids would probably understand this a lot. But uh, American, they found him scary. And maybe he's scary. Diesel number 10 who has his claw, Pinchy, is uh, incredibly scary. Were, are you, were you still scared by Diesel number 10? Presently, no, but I understand why I was when I was young. And they've got this fire scene where he's chasing James and Junior. And it is reminiscent now of Toy Story 3. Obviously, one of the most harrowing experiences in children's media. And this is like the precursor to that. Yeah. Well, yeah, they've got a scene where Diesel 10 is literally about to push James and Junior Conductor onto onto a uh in, into the into the fire, which is uh pretty I mean, we haven't seen a- action like this since Boulder. Maybe I'd have to look at the timeline exactly. There's a slight I think Boulder probably would have aired a little bit earlier than this cuz Boulder was pretty early in the Alec Baldwin era. And this aired um, a little bit after. I think I think Boulder was a season five, and this would have aired after season five. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a very uh, it's a scary movie. It's a very uh, it, it, something that's kind of odd about it. So we talk a lot. A theme in Thomas the Tank Engine and Chill a lot is is how often the engines are blamed when in fact they're drivers and they're firemen. The engines can't control themselves, and yet miss the the two conductors are the only humans who are uh, working to operate this railway. There are no drivers or firemen. They move on their own. Uh, there's a few times where Toby or James uh, are, are, are shown that they need to go do work elsewhere. Percy is shown to be driving the mail train. There are no drivers. So the whole free will engine autonomy question is, is, is very much up in the air. You're almost kind of left wondering, like, do they need Mr. Conductor there? I mean, who can Mr. Conductor himself make sure that all the trains run on time? I mean, there is no explanation there. 
it would almost have been fun to see Sir Topham Hat or or um Mr. Conductor interacting with one of the figurines. Like I like would have loved that. Them the same size. You've got a big. Uh, I remember uh, toy stores uh, when I was little that have a Playmobil that have the Playmobil sort of. Uh, Basically, I guess what would pass for life size would uh, models would sometimes be outside stores. Uh, that was uh, always fun. I would have loved that too. That would have been nice. What? It, it is kind of. I guess. I guess the engines are now voiced by different voice actors. I, I don't keep up with the CGI stuff. I don't really care. But uh, here they have separate voices, and for the most part, it works. I think Toby's voice was was pretty good. Uh, Thomas's was fine. Percy's was fine. Gordon, Gordon is like Gordon is a joke in this, and he's the writing is pretty bad. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of my notes have a lot of quotes that are uh, pretty like in the beginning, the opening narration. Uh, like every story, railroad railways have its heroes. That's a paraphrase. That's why would a railway need to have a hero? Uh, Diesel number 10 wants to go around dominating people with his, his claw. Um, the omniscient narrator notes that Mud the Dog uh, sits, uh, he, he, he senses danger. That's kind of a mess. Then uh, you got Gordon who's saying that uh, maybe James should go pick up Mr. Conductor because he's big and uh, Thomas is small, teeny weeny weeny. It's, it's just, it's very sophomoric. Uh, and Britt Alcroft wrote this. Britt Alcroft wrote it. Uh, we, we have talked in the past about how when the stories first started to uh, move away from the Rev Audrey's uh, source material, particularly with Henry's forest, they started to get a bit stupider uh, here. I mean, there are some good lines, like when Stop Matt, or Mr. Conductor is uh, threatening Diesel Number 10 with sugar. Diesel Number 10 calls uh, both conductors uh, tw Twinkle Toes, which is... I don't know. I think Twinkle Toes is kind of a. I think he's probably implying that they're gay. Um, uh, that's a little odd to have that name be uh, thrown around, but uh, I don't know. It's it's. I wish the writing was better. This is a really bad script. Did you like the script, Tara? No, it was clunky. It was a lot of just explanation. That. Just it didn't sound normal. There is a great scene at the end where, uh, sort of prescient. Maybe Star Wars ripped off of uh, ripped off of this movie where Mister Conductor, where where Junior Conductor, who had previously been on the beach, just is sleeping while he has a full Sunday, a full milkshake that uh, isn't melting in the sun. He's asleep, so it's been out there for a while. There is a deleted scene where he gets splattered in the milkshake, but that wasn't... I wish the, they'd get that. Yeah. There is a scene where he, Mr. Conductor, presents him, uh, Junior Conductor, with a hat and says, like, this is the way. Right out of, right out of, <laughs> right out of the Mandalorian. Well, 20 years earlier, but... I, I guess the, the implication here would be that Junior Conductor is, uh, Achieving a greater sense of maturity, which would have been nice for the script. I mean, writing a feature film is hard, and scenes do get cut. I, I, I think Britt Alcroft was probably not totally up to this task. It's a, it's a tough, it's a tough, tough, tough job with a story that 
We see time and time again of films that couldn't really match the vision of a director, and they they fail. Uh, I, I think a lot of the criticism recently directed at the uh, Disney Plus adaptation of Artemis Fowl was basically that, like you're taking really complex source material and you're tra- trying to translate it into a movie. There are so in the wake of Harry Potter, there's just countless adap- like adaptations of fantasy that were trying to be condensed from uh, these sprawling large book series, trying to make it into a TV show, and it just doesn't work. It's it's tough. It's tough. But uh, here, Alan Isodor is... You're taking something that's so simple in its, in its execution with the TV show, these five-minute snippets that... You start a story, you present a conflict, you resolve the conflict, and you do it like clockwork in, in just with the snap of a finger. And then with this, uh, it is kind of a mess. And I mean, I think a lot of the film is... Uh, where the film succeeds a lot is, is really on the strength of its ability to co- to convey emotion. You've got... The really, really depressed uh, Grandpa Burnett, who in in further deleted scenes he's shown dancing with a his wife who died, and he couldn't get he couldn't take a ride on Lady, and the deleted scenes also reveal that Boomer had a even though Boomer couldn't really process emotion, he's kind of hinted to be somewhat of a sociopath. He also there was uh, he was a, a rival suitor for uh, Grandma Stone. And I mean, if you're a kid, you can see that like this this grandfather is perpetually sullen, and yet he he's he's sort of cold to an extent that it's off putting. It's uncomfortable. He's not a three dimensional character until like he, he he's not even kind of a nice guy until the end. And uh, one of the scenes that the uh, there's a deleted scene. So when Mutt puts Lily on the train and she arrives in Shining Time, there's a scene in between that was cut from the film where uh, Burnett calls Stacy, thinking that maybe there's he's been put on the wrong train. I mean, with the deleted scenes and then also just in the movie itself, there's a fair degree of these people knowing exactly what has happened, even though you probably wouldn't have much of an idea of uh like uh stacy there's another deleted scene where stacy and billy two feathers have put together the idea that there must be this Magic railway railroad. yeah that ki- that connects shining time and uh and the island of sodor and it, it's not strictly teleportation that the, the, the sparkle is is done which is uh it's just weird i mean i that the, it is kind of cool to see them going back and forth on that railway but I mean, it, to, to, it is also weird. Why isn't he just teleporting? Why isn't he using instant transmission? He is... They are shown to you... It, it brings a bigger question. I hadn't even really thought of this, but it brings a bigger question of where do they go when they're using their sparkle within the island of Sodor itself when they're going from uh, hopping around the island? Do they have to go through the conductor's railway on that? I also found it funny that they are acknowledging that they can't just climb on board these tank engines. They had to use the sparkle in order to actually enter the like the cars there. Yeah, I mean, when you watch this film as you're older, it, it kind of becomes clear that there are some points where, like, uh, the, the, there's a set 
featured in uh for a lot of the latter part of the movie where mr conductor basically treats it as like a base and he says he's kind of like weak but um i i think it's just because they they really had they're filming in in toronto and they have one soundstage and that's that's where they can film and they've they've... (laughs) shining time is a show where they uh had one soundstage so i mean this kind of makes sense but you but 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 they're limited. Yeah, they're not really hopping aboard these engines. And some of the behind-the-scenes work, you can see, like, the... To- the the When when Mr. Conductor is climbing aboard Thomas or somebody, he's climbing aboard this green green set. And it's a green screen. They're going to, like, go in digitally. And this show doesn't really use CGI at all. James Goes Buzz Buzz was, like, the very first time they had a cartoon bee flying around. They don't use these kinds of, of practical effects. And... Would would you have wanted them to use less CGI, Tara? No, I found, like, they had a good balance. Um, I liked what they did. And even if the green screens were um, sometimes transparent, uh, maybe it's because it's on Blu-ray now that you can see more of that disparity. Um, I think they did fine with it. So this film has a $19 million budget. Wow. Well, okay. You've got to assume that a chunk of that. I, Peter Fonda in, in some of the, they, they do feature some of the older interviews that they would have done from the time of uh, the filming, which is pretty common. Uh, a, a common, a common trend among older actors as somebody who's uh, covered them up at Christmas Carol extensively. A lot of times when older actors are doing children's films, it's to appease, to, to have something for their grandkids to watch because like a, a, Peter Fonda will not be able to show his children Easy Rider, which uh, features at drug use, uh, death. Uh, maybe some children would be scared by Jack Nicholson. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> maybe. He is kind of a scary guy sometimes. Don't show your children The Shining. but uh, see, And don't show me The Shining. No, we don't have to watch The Shining. But uh, Tara is sometimes sucked into watching... Uh, Tara often is sucked into watching movies that she doesn't necessarily want to watch, but she <laughs> has to because she lives with a film critic. And uh, we can have some sympathy for that, but she chose uh, she chose her romantic partner. So <laughs> that's, that's the way it goes. You know, you know what you were signing up for. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, music. Yeah, speaking of which, the music is great. They do within the film feature a lot of the the songs like Thomas the Tank mm-hmm. and yeah so that's I mean and and in in one of the interviews uh, Britt Allcroft's talking about uh, Junior Campbell filming uh, how much music played a played a big role but uh, back to the budget because we're just kind of jumping right. all, jumping all over the place nineteen million. If you're filming uh, in in Toronto and you're also filming in uh, they they went and filmed on location in the Isle of Man, mm-hmm. that's that's expensive. Making a movie is expensive. Making a movie with a director who's never directed another movie is expensive. The Room, the movie The Room with Tommy Wiseau, which really finds its way. It's been mentioned a bunch of times recently on this show, like very unexpectedly. Uh, certain a lot of uh, a lot of our recent guests have had interactions with Tommy Wiseau, as have I. Uh, well, with his pub- publicist people. Uh, so that movie costs like five million, and you would never believe that because it looks as low budget as uh, any other movie that's filmed for basically five dollars, or, or much much le- under five hundred thousand. Uh, 
if you have somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, they're going to... Movies cost money. Every day you film costs money. You have union people that you have to pay. All Every mm-hmm. day you're filming over uh, the allotted time is extra money. It's ex- it, Filmmaking is expensive. So if you have somebody who doesn't know what they're doing and they're using well-known actors, uh, that's expensive. So the CGI... and. They didn't. You, you can also kind of say they didn't really know what they were doing with the CGI because they hadn't really done it before. So uh, they, the the bonus features do show uh, some. What was kind of cool is uh, the the set where they're kind of it's kind of like the it's a pile of rocks really. Oh, and if you listen to our Mandalorian coverage, you hear me complain about piles of rocks a lot. Well, there are some pile of rocks here. They're kind of cool though. It's it's a cute set that was apparently filmed in the studio right next to where they were filming the models, which was cool to see kind of like the viaduct scene. You've got diesel ten. The power. I just want to know what was going through her head as her like Henry Henry tries to do his best to explain that that the reason Diesel Number Ten wants to destroy this this um, lost engine is because he's afraid that uh, she's way more powerful than he is. And at the end, they're like, "Lady, you need to run. I'll help you." It's kind of unclear what they're doing. They're kind of just escaping Diesel Ten, yeah. who then falls and uh, lands on a boat and. Uh, P.T. Boomer falls and lands in a puddle. Uh, it is just kind of fascinating how they manage to just, like, take this other villain and say, like, bye-bye, good night. Um, yeah, that's 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 a mess. But what's also kind of odd is, is there's no signal conductors being, like, Diesel just kind of comes and goes near Tidmouth Sheds and nobody seems to complain about it. There's nobody who seems to stop him. There's n- no point where they're like, maybe we should call Stop Matt and say Diesel number 10 is screwing with us. Like, he's treated as basically like this dangerous terrorist with his giant claw and yet they laugh at him at times. He puts um, he puts sneezing powder all over the place and then Harold uh, fl- flies by and Splatter and Dodge, his minions, who also don't really like him, they get hit. There's another point where he gets coal all put over him. Like, he's treated like a joke. He's treated like an existential threat. And he sees, like, he sees uh, Lady as as a as a apex threat on the level of, like, the Infinity Stones. He's a bit like Thanos in that regard. ay 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 this movie is complex, isn't it? Yep. This is the way. And, uh, it's, it's... It's all over the place. I would have really liked a cameo from Schemer if you've seen Shining Time Station. Schemer operates the jukebox. Uh, as his name suggests, guess guess what, guys? Schemer is a schemer. Who would have thought? But uh, he's always trying to get nickels for his jukebox. And then there are some puppet characters who live in the jukebox. I, I'm not 100% sure if it was shown in the film, but I know it was definitely a, de- a deleted scene. Shining mm-hmm. Time did have a jukebox. Oh, they had to remodel the... They had to... In the Isle of Man, they had to kind of do some renovating to make it look like Shining Time Station inside. They do a pretty good job. If you think that Shining Time Station, the set from the TV show, that that's a that's a film set or a TV set. You know what I mean? And then they... To have that go from uh, that kind of set to an on-location set is uh, impressive. It's impressive. But, um... Oh, I forgot also, when Thomas is going from, uh, when Thomas and Lily are going from the island of Sodor to, uh, when they're trying to go to Shining Time, there's a tumbleweed that's like, I'll show you the way. <laughs> this is where, you're all, you're on your own from here now. I don't know. I, I don't know. 
don't know what a what a what a what a kid is supposed to. Actually, I mean, I know I I was I was nine when this movie came out, so I was uh, aging out of Thomas. But I also I remember going to see it with uh, my parent with my mom, and uh, we had a family friend who went to our uh, small little Catholic school, so they tended to kind of people would there would be stuff on the weekends for like the kids to get together and whatnot uh, i remember going that there would have been a kid who was uh a couple of years younger than me who would have still been into thomas so uh we all went together and i obviously wanted to see it i thought it was fun uh but then my sister was born in 2001 so i never really aged out of thomas in this i mean i've, I've maintained a li- lifelong love of thomas but I was never as as a child. It, I was a lot older before I was really separated from Thomas in terms of it wasn't really till my and it was even it was like I was about to say that my sister aged out of it, but they they started going CGI heavy, so it it almost feel like Thomas left us behind versus the other way around. Uh, it was it was very fun to uh, get to kind of go back and see all of this, and it, it does kind of bookend if you think about. Like, Shining Time, as I describe it to people, is kind of like a cross between Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and then just kind of like a traditional, like, like children's sitcom. Kind of, if you've seen, like, The Big Comfy Couch, uh, which is fitting because it's film show, film in Canada and Big Comfy Couch. There's a lot of Canadian kids, kids' television. Uh, they follow the same kind of plot lines, and you'll have, like, certain, uh, certain characters will appear in pretty much every episode, all pretty much at the same time. Power Rangers, same thing. <laughs> Same, you you sit down, you pretty much know what you're going to get out of the episode. And those things air, and they finish, and then they're kind of done. Here we got to, this is kind of like uh, an epilogue for, for Shining Time. You get to see Stacey Jones one last time. And I will I will commit to uh, our, our listeners, I'm going to try and get Didi Cohn to come on the show. I have to figure out who I can, uh, who I can, uh, at, tell, who, blah, blah, blah. I have to figure out where I can get in touch with her, but uh, we will work on that. We've had bigger, we've had plenty of uh, nice big guests on the show, so I'm sure she would love to come on. If only I could figure out. I'll go looking for her. <laughs> I think Brit, I think Brit Alcroft actually lives in California. I had thought before before COVID, uh, of because I, I wasn't. She she, I mean she's older. This this a lot of this stuff happened forty years ago, but. Uh, I've always kind of thought that if I would be able to get her on the show, I'd have to like drive out and probably record it in person versus uh, using our uh, online. Stuff. I don't want to get into too big into the nitty gritty of it, but it if you're an older fan who who did grow up with Shining Time and you're thinking about where the the, the value of Thomas and the Magic Railroad is uh, in the present day and era, it is kind of in the sense that you get to uh, see these people one last time. And Billy's Billy Two Feather is a new. Oh, we haven't even talked about... So, Britta Alcroft, in the interview, mentions that a... And this has been a well-known well-known uh, fact for, for years and years, that this this movie had a lot of studio interference in Britta Alcroft. I mean, this movie... The reason that Hidden Entertainment bought Thomas the Dang Engine from the Britta Alcroft company was she ran out of... This movie bankrupted their whole studio because uh, it didn't do very well. It didn't really make its money back. Uh... But there was a lot of studio interference, and apparently she didn't name the executive, but somebody said they couldn't understand Billy Two Feathers, and the implication is racist. 
which is a load of crap. You you can understand. Russell Means is a well-known guy. He had been in big movies. He had been in Oscar-winning. He had starred in Oscar-winning movies before. You can understand Russell Means. It's very offensive. Yeah, and on top of that, the way the character was written, he really was there as your token Native American to bring in this mystical aspect of the land, which I, I thought was pretty offensive as well. It's, it's too bad. They they made him a very one-note, one-dimensional character and then cut a lot of his lines. Yeah, and this is Britt Alcroft, an, uh, a British woman, writing writing uh, uh, an Amer- like a Native American, American Indian, and in, in, that's going to create a lot of uh, messy situation. I mean, this, this show has covered uh, Star Trek Voyager in multiple episodes. Uh, it's basically the same as, as having Chakotay uh, go on a spirit journey. I mean, it's... All the way out, all the way out in the Delta Quadrant. You're, it, if you're gonna go, the it's it's native Native American indi- indigenous people deserve uh, a lot better representation than what uh, Hollywood and and these kind of productions have given them. And Russell Means is uh, uh, really, I encourage you to check out his a lot of his work. He's a fabulous actor. Didn't get his didn't get his due. Didn't get a lot no, to do. And it's you know, too bad. And he approaches this stuff as. Uh, very professional and he you almost like you almost feel bad for him like talking about like oh there's this magic oh maybe it's a coincidence well maybe it's not and he's like playing into like this destiny and Mm -hmm. this is the earth's land all of this kind of nonsense he gets a lot of the scenes with boomer and that's that's a bummer i mean and 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 stacy's role within this film is largely kind of a cameo she doesn't really factor into it all that much this is really i mean peter fonda and, and mara wilson uh play into it original characters play into it far more it does kind of feel well if Thomas hadn't gone from the island of Sodor to Shining Time, it would almost be like a situation where he he he, he kind of faded down the stretch of his own movie. Yeah, no one even saw him when he was in like I guess the real world. Um, he he had only scenes by himself. Then he goes back. They're like, "Oh, great to see you! Totally forgot you existed. Forgot we left you there." And then he's just there following Lady, unclear what his role is. Poor guy. And Thomas has a face in both the Island of Sodor and Shining Time. Lady, who is kept in a mountain, uh, they can't find a way to make her steam. All they need are all they need are is Sodor coal to to make her steam. Hence the missing coal car. I mean, this without ever explaining why is this coal car missing? Yeah, and the coal car. These cars can speak. They sing. Remember Duck, uh, Close Shave for Duck? They have their Pop Goes the Diesel song. <laughs> uh, we haven't covered it yet on the show, but Scruffy, who Oliver and Toad, Oliver <laughs> Oliver pretty much kills Scruffy. Uh, he's another uh, freight car. They, they're supposed to speak. This guy just gets left behind. Thomas has a face when he goes back and forth. A lot of this movie seems to be like the product of, of miscommunication. You've got the depressed... Oh, so much miscommunications. Yeah, do you want to talk about some more of the miscommunication? So, a lot of it really does center around who is Lady, is there a Lady, is there a Magic Railroad? Oh, we know Lady is the one who runs on the Magic Railroad. We know there's all of this magic. We know the gold dust is because of her and the Magic Railroad. Some characters at some times know all of this. Some of them figure it out. Some of them just like, oh, you know, this really makes sense. And then... 
when Thomas Lady, um, her grandfather, Lily, and Patch, Patch is whatever his name is, the kid, when they come back to Sodor, apparently Mr. Conductor and Junior Conductor aren't aware of all of this, despite basically having put a lot of that together themselves. It's a few minutes later when they realize, oh, wait, that's the magic um, tank engine. That's the magic like railroad. We need her. I thought it was understood. Everyone knew at that point. This is the reason we need her. I thought they were all working toward this goal. Apparently not. Apparently everyone is literally on their own page, not telling anyone anything. Despite like these being very critical issues that everyone needed to figure out. They're not sharing any of this newfound information with anyone. No, they're not. And it's... It's astonishing how quickly this all comes together. And yet, at the same time, this this legend, this prophecy... Uh, I mean, one of the weirdest scenes is Mr. Conductor is... Well, they keep... They keep there's a couple instances where characters are flung and they end up, like, landing on an engine. Or on Diesel 10, but... Yeah, very conveniently, they're safe. Yeah, and they can't travel, uh, but Mr. Conductor is caught and he finds this rabbit who has clues that you achieve by eating vegetables, which, I mean, is positive for kids. Eat yeah, your, great lesson. Eat your veggies. A uh, little bit ridiculous. Um, it's irresponsible that Shatab Matt, this railroad tycoon, uh, probably making billions. Uh, he is not playing a role at all in the saving of his railway, and yet uh, he's probably taking all the money. Yeah, that's really something that you should cut your vacation short for. Yeah, I mean, Mr. Conductor basically has to strong arm his his, uh, his cousin into uh, helping the family business. It's a good union paying job. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't really. <laughs> oh, the deleted scenes also reveal that the grandfather was chosen by the conductor family to run Lady. That is not explained in any sense in the like the cut that we see here um which is really unfortunate that like small things that they just cut it was unclear while watching this before the deleted scenes what exactly the grandfather's connection was with everything it was like vaguely hinted at but then we get these actual explanations that they just deleted and all of that that whole dyna- dynamic is really complicated by another deleted scene where between pt boomer and uh and Burnett, where they're talking about how he's the one who was responsible for wrecking Lady because he rode her around. And yet, yeah. I, I get, apparently got her back to that mountain. Yeah, somehow. Somehow. And also, there's a railway in the mountain because they drive through that to get back to Sodor. Yeah, and yet, and yet, this railway, which is like one line, but it's not, deposits you in two different spots. Yeah. <laughs> but... So so PT Boomer knows about Lady. Presumably he's got to know where 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 she's kept or if Lady was moved then she was moved to a spot that's also magic and you've kind of got to believe in the magic. That's what they say a couple times. And it's not clear at all. And even the deleted scenes kind of hint at it, but it's not clear why the grandfather stopped believing in magic when one he'd seen it, he'd experienced it and Really, the magic, believing in it was not the problem. The problem was just that Lady didn't have her special s- Sodor clo- uh, coal. 
It was just the call that she needed. So you have a situation where Mr. Conductor, Billy Two Feather, and Stacy all know that Burnett has a role to play in this. They find, oh. Yeah, no one talked to him. Well, they find his picture in the lost and found, which had to have been lost. 50 years. And it is a beautiful, preserved crayon drawing. In perfect shape. Exactly. <laughs> it's there in the lost and found. 50 year lost and found. It's got his name on it. It has his name on it. It's not like, we don't know who made this painting. Oh, this is the island of Sonor. Yeah. Mr. Conductor is shown to be cleaning the office in a couple episodes of Shining Time. I added some of them <laughs> on VHS that I just watched time and time again, even after after the show had stopped airing. I mean, that was a problem. When Mr. Rogers went off the air, uh, when, when, when Fred Rogers stopped doing it and then when he died, th- that show was on the air for like another 10 years on PBS, basically every day. Shining we Time, watched it every day. Yeah, Shining Time stopped airing in 1990. Well, stopped making new episodes in 1995. I'd never heard of it until I met you. Yeah, I, I would need to like go and look at a schedule of, of like PBS's lineup and all of that, but it, it did it, it did not continue to air very long and after that. I, I mean, I remember as a child, I often was a big fan of uh, quote-unquote sick days where I basically didn't want to go to school. <laughs> And I knew when Mr. Rogers came on, it was a chance to watch all the children's shows he missed or could only watch on days off or whatnot. Uh, I watched a lot of the those P- uh, PBS had a good good programming line. Yeah, we watched PBS religiously every day when we were growing up with my grandma. Um, Shining Town was not on. Shining Time. Sorry, sorry. Town. We're like an hour. And they in- even so another they cut a, every single reference to the word shining time. Oh yeah, there's They a, explain what shining time means. They make a lot of joke references about it as well as very evocative references about it with the grandfather talking about giving lady her shining time. Um I often call shining time shining town because it's this town. I see it as a town. Um if they had kept these references in, if I'd known about this from the start, I wouldn't make that mistake. Yeah. Well, there's there's a theme song that, that's played, like, look for, look for signs, follow the shining time. It, the theme song of Shining Time Station uh, is played a little bit here. Uh, there's also a scene early on, which is cut with P.T. Boomer uh, riding a, a motorcycle, and he's nearby, and they actually... they. He he almost collides with the train, but they they <laughs> they show the deleted scene where it's like the the two shot because you wouldn't obviously have a motorcycle guy almost like you wouldn't have it ru- really running around a train station that'd be dangerous. But they uh, they show the deleted scene of, of the 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 two scenes sort of spliced together, but not really like cleaned up for for cinematic quality, and that that's kind of fun. But uh, yeah, a shining time like. Your 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 first journey. It's supposed to be like full of hope and all of that. They they cut that and yeah, and they're really beautiful sentiments that they cut every single reference. I mean, I to this day, there there are pieces of nostalgia that are, that are kind of special for me because uh, I I there were things as a child I really really loved. We actually we got to experience uh, two of them uh, this Christmas uh, watching the cartoon The Snowman. And uh, there's another cartoon which is now on Disney Plus called uh, Small One, which uh, 
Disney made in the late 70s that aired uh, theatrically with uh, a re- remastered version of Pinocchio, but I had I had small one on VHS, and both of those were favored by my mom when I was little because they were, I think one was 20 minutes, the other one was like 25, so they were kind of quick things to put on, and then I'd be kind of ready to go to sleep by the end of it, but... Uh, the the nostalgia the being able to watch them with uh my my partner with Tara is uh it makes me happy because you 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 get to bridge the gap of like your childhood to the present and that's really fun when I, when I hear the Shining Time Station song I'm kind of filled with uh, a smile because it was Thomas at its peak Thomas as as I remembered it as a child with the models and it's beautiful. So that was that was fun, and it, it's just fun to hear. And Britt Allcroft, uh, I I don't th- I I think this movie would have been much better off if if a more seasoned film director, more polished film director, had been at the helm. But I say that while understanding and acknowledging the fact that Britt Allcroft loves 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 thomas fully she gets the books she gets how this show is supposed to operate and the only reason we're talking about this is because brit all uh got the reverend audrey to get on board with adapting his work uh she, she, there there would be none of this would have happened without her so when it comes to thomas and the magic railroad you have a piece of uh popular culture that uh changed thomas forever she had to sell the she had to sell thomas to somebody else uh the fact that they were kind of out of you know there are some stories that um the reverend audrey's son christopher audrey uh christopher wilbert audrey maybe uh wilbert actually i think is what he was referred to and there was an engine uh he he took over for some of the stories later on uh there's an engine wilbert they would make toys off of every book character, even if they weren't. Coldy, if you're really a deep Thomas fan, Coldy, those uh, that mountain lion, uh, a lot of these, a lot of these people. But uh, it's it's uh, the point. I'm rambling a bit, but I'm rambling with 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 all the love in the world for this this world. It changed though, and and this is kind of an end of. It is an end of an era in the sense of you know this is Alec Baldwin's Thomas, this is George Carlin's Thomas. Do you think it would have been better if George Carlin had been Mystery Doctor instead of Alec Baldwin? I think that would have given it a very different tone, just knowing George Carlin's personality. But um, Alec Baldwin had a great voice for it. And the interviews with him, he talked a lot about in the bonus features how to really make your voice right when doing a children's film like this. Um, Always having a positive tone in your voice, even when you're maybe discussing something distressing or sad. Um, I found very nice, um, a good idea. Um, I think he did a great job and he's, he looks like he's having fun with it and he's worried about maybe he was over the top. I thought he did great. Yeah. He, well, one thing that I really loved, he was able to understand that Mr. Conductor is almost in a lot of ways, the host of this movie. He's not the protagonist. Lily Lily, and to a lesser extent, Burnett are the protagonists. Uh, he's there to facilitate. He's a conductor. He's there to facilitate. He's a conductor more like a, a symphony conductor than a train conductor. Yes. <laughs> he's there to he's he's, he's there to, to to 
facilitate this. Hey, he did. I mean, George Ringo was the first shining time. Uh, I think Ringo had actually probably finished his run when I by the, by the time I was born in 1991, uh, and Shining Time had, had been on there before I was born. But uh, I so I m- most of my memories of it are of George Carlin. He was really good at interacting with the kids and. Uh, he's, he's, he's great with a lot of that stuff. I I do think Alec Baldwin really rose to the occasion of what was needed for the Mr. Conductor of, of this, this, this era. He, he's warm. Uh, he got along great. His chemistry with both Lily and Junior Conductor and Thomas is, uh, very top notch. And he, 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 he keeps, uh, he, he, he really does, really does kind of, uh, piece this kind of messy, fragmented movie together the theatrical cut is fragments we yes it's it's it is unfortunate i wish they had had a director's cut for this release yeah i mean it, 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 i i think about the pacing this is an hour and 25 minute long movie lily doesn't really appear until the first half hour of the theatrical release which is not the way that it was intended so they kind of they kind of had their thomas and friends fun in the first half hour and then it starts yeah. to starts to become more live action later. The the pacing of this movie is pretty good by and large. It's very fast-paced. It is unquestionably a pretty bad movie. Tara's not agree Tara was like basically borderline cursing me as we were watching this. It was <laughs> not pleasant. And then we watched the bonus features and it made a lot more sense. I had a much greater appreciation for the story that got cut um knowing what it could have been and seeing like the actors and for brit all of their interviews where they're not like outright saying like they wish that all of that had been kept they wish it hadn't been such a flop um they they really do try to keep a positive tone but you can kind of read between the lines um it is unfortunate what happened to it yeah, and I mean, also the Diddy Con um, when she get, when she's doing her interview, she's noting uh, how positive the film was. Uh, particularly, something that I've heard before: um, autistic children tend uh, often take to Thomas the Tank Engine. Uh, I mean, it, for me, that kind of like makes sense, just on on the perspective of this is a simple story that has that is is unbelievably fun to return to because of the just level of detail it, it it's kind of what it, it's one of those like i'm a huge comic book fan part of the beauty of of comic books is the sense that uh these are 100 year old characters but they do try to structure the story in a way that's welcoming to new people but if you're somebody who wants to say hey i'm going to dive into this i'm going to spend hours and hours and hours and hours doing this there is so much more for you to explore. I learn th- new things when I watch Thomas episodes I've seen a hundred times. So that's kind of fun. Uh, she talks about so many um, uh, press things that she would do on it. I mean, the, she was at the center of the number one children's phenomenon in the world. And for her to have the opportunity to come to, to do a TV show about that and then a couple years later to get back, come back and, and do the film... Uh, to hear her just kind of talk about the joy that brought her was fun. Uh, there is no way we can talk about Thomas and the Magic Railroad, even for fans of Thomas, even for fans of the movie, 
without acknowledging that a this didn't turn out the way that anyone wanted it and b objectively i say this as a film critic but just this movie's pretty terrible (laughs) i wish it weren't like seeing what it could have been it just makes me really sad for the cuts that it's gotten i i am really sad for the director for the cast seeing what it could have been yeah and uh pt boomer would have made the movie better i wish it yeah would, it would have been great if we had a director's cut it would be great if we had a blu-ray cut that was actually like <laughs> blu-ray quality <laughs> it's it is unfortunate yet these bonus features really help we're deep enough into the podcast that i i, I imagine that the, the publicists are probably not still listening um <laughs> they they sent me so i requested the blu-ray i knew the anniversary was coming up in october and fathom events which does a lot of cinematic uh basically will do um special releases yeah they do special releases for things that aren't getting broad runs but they'll they'll like the start the deep space nine documentary what we left behind uh you know they specialize in doing limited like one or two day releases that will air in a specific theater on basically one day and if you can't see it you can't see it uh i i'm pretty sure they put on a lot of the mizaki films uh and those like they'll do like a dub day and a sub and a subtitles day they do a lot of that stuff um i had put in a request for this in august and it was for publicists that i had had a prior relationship with uh and they were like really slow walking and I was like, I really want to see the blue. I want, I really want to see how this film looks on Blu-ray and they, this makes sense. Now. Yeah. What happened next? So they sent me, they, they sent me, uh, you get screener links a lot as a critic. Uh, they sent me a screener link of the bonus features, which, which, which are, which is this set's big, big main draw. It's a Blu-ray and a DVD set. Uh, and they sent me the bonus features and, I'm not sure if they were finalized or raw. I'd have to like go back and look at the link they sent. Hopefully the link still works. Uh, some of these are like timestamped and they only work for a limited. Most of them are timestamped. Uh, but I was like, look, I really want to see the Blu-ray. Send me the Blu-ray. Uh, and I was saying too, like, look, like you asked me to do all this other stuff. I do Thomas. I this podcast is a big Thomas. It's big Thomas Tank Engine following. Like, give me the give me the Blu-ray and uh, I, I I wanted it yesterday, like figuratively. And then I, like now it's kind of like oh. If a publicist is being a little coy with something, there's there's generally they know. there's generally a reason why they're being coy about it. I mean, sometimes they're busy, but other times, like if you if you ask if you ask like three questions and you get two answers, they didn't forget about the other question. They didn't want to answer it, or they knew that you wouldn't like the answer, so they chose not to. That's why in the deposition, if any future lawyers are out there, one question at a time. Yeah. So. Well, there was one really deep dive. Uh, when I was asked to review, I was asked to review DC Universe as a service, and I asked them before my review. I said, to "The publicist, how many digital comics are added to this?" And they said, "We're adding." the The response was, or my question was, "How many comics are on the DCU service?" And my the answer they gave me was, "We're adding new comics every week." <laughs> and I was like, "Wow." Because I was I was I was do, in, in the process of doing it myself, counting them. Because I want to say like there's under a thousand here. Because like that doesn't seem like a, a, a I, I read about three or four thousand comics a year. 
So I was like, this isn't really that great of a service. Like, if you're if you're appealing to a super fan and you've got like this, like how, how good is like, how appealing is this to like a deep dive person? And that actually kind of relates to this Blu-ray because this is a Blu-ray release for the deep divers. You've got you've got some people who are buying this for children who are obsessed with Thomas now. Those people might be disappointed because this Blu-ray cut kind of sucks. Uh, but if you're a uh, if you're a fan of Thomas and you're looking for the bonus features, that's where this set really shines. Shining time. This set finds its shining time on that kind of stuff. A lot of great, lot of great bonus features that that are the kind of bonus features that fans want. These are content that they know the fans would want and interviews by talent who still really have a lot of love and appreciation for this. So Thomas and Magic Railroad, mess of a movie. We all know that. You know that, especially if you're still listening by now. This is a, this is, this is. Just please watch the bonus features and put it together in your mind where they fit. So yeah, I, I, I'm not really in the business of saying, you know, is this movie worth your money? Which is, there are a lot of uh, film review websites that actually do that. Like, rent. some of them will say what they recommend. Like, you should uh, go see this in theaters, or you should rent this on video on demand, or you should just wait for it to come to a streaming service so you don't actually have to pay any additional money. I don't, I don't do that. I don't want to do that. I don't really care. Because I am here with this... Uh, copy of the blu-ray that was provided for me to give some uh, feedback on if you are like and, and I, you've probably re- kind of reached this this own conclusion for yourself which is good because you should you sh- this is a decision whether you're going to buy a piece of media uh, i'm not here to tell you that what i would say is that if you're if you j- if all you care about is the blu-ray uh quality cut then uh skip this it's a mess and just watch it on dvd or however however else you had it and if you care really about the bonus features, then then yeah, you'll if if you want the bonus features, the bonus features are great. And one thing, I can't believe we're over an hour into this, but uh, my, growing up, my sister, the VHS copy kind of came in one of those old Disney copies. If you remember, the bigger the VHS case would be bigger in plastic. She called this movie Thomas Square for. We still call it. My family calls Thomas Maguire Thomas Square. We never learned why my sister named it Thomas Square, but it's that's what she called it. So, Thomas Square, special place in my heart. Hello, Hattie. You like this movie, Tara? I do now. It having Aww. now seen both the bonus features as well as the deleted timelines, as they call it. Um, the story makes a lot more sense. I think there is a lot more emotional elements that got cut that really contribute to the story. Um, so as I've said about a hundred times now, it is unfortunate that everything got cut. Um, just put it together in your mind. Uh, <laughs> it is a nicer story now. I really did like this, having now seen all the bonus stuff. Well, you know what? That That's, that's honestly, I'm the film critic, Tara's the lawyer. She probably gave a more ringing endorsement for this experience than I would be able to provide. Uh, this this uh, this movie it's, it, this movie has a special place in my heart, and I I love it, not because it's good, but because it makes me feel good. And 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 that you know, film I love lowbrow films all the time. 
I love films that are bad. Uh, plenty of movies that, that are not objectively good. Uh, film is supposed to spark emotion. And and that, that can be for reasons that, that make sense because the movie worked or it can make sense because it makes you... Uh, you know, that's, that's the positive power of nostalgia sometimes. A movie that uh, made you feel good at once upon a time. Maybe we'll spark the magic once again. So if you're, if you're on the fence about it... Uh, if you're on the fence about it, that means part of you really wants to get it. So I would say probably make that. Uh, do you have anything else left to say about the movie, Tara? No, I think I've said it all. Um, it was a much more enjoyable experience having now watched the deleted scenes. And that's not the main song, but you know exactly what I was saying. Anyway. I think that's all we have to say on Thomas the Magic Railroad. We will return with a long-awaited... Boy, we've now done two Thomas the Tank Engine and Chill out of order, but we will return with... Uh, we will return with Percy's Ghostly Trick after Sundance Courage. And with all of that, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. <laughs>